0: Your soul is at war with lies, and you have no choice but to fight. Lies have shaped us, told us who we thought we were, held us captive. Lies from outside us, lies from within us. Truth is reality, and when we live at odds with reality, we cannot thrive. Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth can be known. The truth will set you free. It's time to take back control of our minds from their captivity to lies, to liberate them with the weapon of truth. It is time to fight back in the quietness of our hearts to stand in the truth, to live no lies. We are in week number two of our series that we're calling Live No Lies. And kind of one of the overarching thoughts uh, around this series is as it relates to lies, one of our greatest challenges is not usually that we tell lies, but we actually believe lies and we start to live lies. And, uh, you know, this is church and I'm a pastor and we gotta just be straight up about uh, who we are and what's going on. And I just need to confess, I believe that uh, I really love to lie. I love to lie. In fact, I'm gonna show you how much I love to lie. Some of you would call this a fly box. I call this a lie box. (laughs) Everything in here is meant to deceive. Every little bug in here is meant to look somewhat like the real thing. Enough so that when a trout sees this floating over the top of him or her, sees that and just says, that is what I want. I love to deceive. So one of the things that I love to do when I'm fly fishing is I love to be able to see a trout that is rising. Because if I can see one that's rising, I know that he's hungry, I know that he's vulnerable, I think I can sell him a lie. This summer, when I was uh, up in the northern part of Yellowstone Park with my family, my son and I, we just kind of love that sight fishing thing where we can spot fish and get the bug to them. And uh, I saw this rising fish and I just said, oh, he's mine. And so uh, uh, I got my bug and I knew exactly where I wanted to put it. And the, the first pass went by and I wasn't quite far enough. But the next one, I knew I was right on the spot. And I was sitting there and I just said, there it is. There it is. Right there. And I didn't realize this, but my son was behind me and he was filming it with his phone. So I want you to see this picture. There it is, there it is, right there. Watch the bank. Oh, yes. If you fish, is there any better feeling than that? That is just like all time. And I realize as a communicator, I've completely blown it because if you're here and you like to fly fish, the only thing going through your mind is like, why am I in church right now? I should, I should definitely be on the river. And I know that when you leave here, uh, someone's going to ask you, well, like, what, what did you take away? What was your application? And you're going to be like, I need a new fly rod. And I think that's a great application to probably any sermon that's out there. And I've got an actual, a a picture of the fish. We had some fun. There's my, there's that little boy with that little fly in his mouth. Now I deceive, I lie to fish because I want to enjoy. Your enemy, the devil, he lies to you because he wants to destroy. He doesn't want to enjoy you. He wants to destroy you. Last week we talked about, Jesus just wanted to make it really clear. Your enemy The only thing that he wants to do is to steal from you, to kill you, and destroy you. That's all that he wants to do. But as the series is gonna continue to talk about, his main strategy, his main strategy is lies. So when we think about spiritual warfare, when we think about the battle between good and evil, it is a battle of lies. And if lies are the battle... Here's what we're gonna have to understand today is that the battleground is our mind. What is going on in our mind if the enemy is trying to lie to us? And I wanna just recap really quickly what we talked about last week, kind of the punchline of that long text of scripture from John 8, where Jesus was talking about our enemy, the devil. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Here's what Jesus and the writers of the New Testament want every one of us to understand. You have an enemy that wants to lie, and you are vulnerable to his lies. I don't care who you are. Every one of us has the ability to believe things that aren't true. And that's why when we we just look at the, the text over and over in the New Testament so many times in so many different books, this and I, I I just started listening some of them. This isn't even all of them, but in 1 Corinthians, Paul says simply, do not be deceived. In Colossians, he also says, I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Man, they just sound good. In 2 Timothy, Paul says, evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worst, deceiving and being deceived. In Titus, the scripture says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The Book of John, First John, says, "Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray." And Paul, in his book of Rome, in the Book of Romans, writes about those who exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And this is just a smattering. When you look across the books. Of the New Testament. The writers are just command after command do not be deceived. Do not be led astray. We've got to just be humble, friends, and just say, if they're telling us this over and over, we've got to recognize that we have the potential to be deceived. And that's that battle for the soul that we feel, that angst that we feel. It's that believing things that aren't true. Battling in our mind between truth and lies. And again, I'm gonna say it, you can be deceived. And if you're here today and you don't think you can be deceived, you already are. You're already deceived and you are the easiest target for the enemy because lies is what he's gonna come at you with. That's his main strategy. If he can do anything, what he wants to do is get you to doubt God and to trust yourself. Trust yourself as the accurate compass for what it means to live in this world of good and evil. Here's what I want to do today. I want us to go back to the very beginning of the scriptures, the book of Genesis, the very first deception. This is a story that's going to be familiar to many of you, but that story of Adam and Eve and that first deception. And here's what I want to do is I I just want to kind of lift up and show the devil's schemes for what they are. Just expose his strategy. Because the reality is, is that his schemes don't change very much over time. But you know why his schemes don't change? Because they work. But we've got to look at what is it that he's trying to do so that we can get a, develop a strategy for how we respond, a strategy of action. So whether you've got your scriptures in your lap or on your app, we're going to be on Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the gar- from any tree in the garden? Now, I just wanna remind us of the story where we're at here, the serpent. In the story is described as the personification of the devil, him talking to Eve. And it uses a descriptor. The author uses a descriptor that he was crafty, very crafty, more crafty than any of the other animals. And that word, the Hebrew word that's translated in the NIV here, crafty, can be translated cunning or wily or deceitful. And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to cast some shade on God, create some doubt in Eve's mind. Can you really trust God? Did he really say? But the woman knew what God said. So in verse two, she said, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say. She knew exactly what the truth was, what God had said. He said, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. The truth was clear to her. But even in the midst of clear truth, the enemy does what he does so well. He tries to twist it or to shade it in a way. And here comes the lie. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that, you, that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil That's what he's doing He's trying to cast doubt on God Is he really good? Does he really have Good intentions for you? He said no he doesn't He's actually trying to hold out from you He knows That if you eat from this And your eyes are opened You're going to be like him Wouldn't that be awesome Eve? You know good and evil You can decide good and evil for yourself Wouldn't that be awesome? Awesome Hook set. He's trying to figure out how can he cast doubt on the authority and the autonomy of God. Eve, you decide what's good and evil. And Eve wanted that. Verse six, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Hook set. What Eve thought was gonna bring life. This is what life would be about. I would would, would have more understanding of this life. Presented as something that was good, ended up bringing death her, and separation of her and her husband from God, the fly always looks, the lie always looks so real, but in the, end up you, in the end, you end up with a hook in your lip, and that's what happened to Adam and Eve. Suddenly, they find themselves in this place where they're just guilt and shame, moving away from God, wanting to hide from God. Let's continue to read the text, but here's what I want you to hear God doesn't, I mean, it it would have been totally justified for God in the midst of their obedience, just bring down fire from heaven, destroy them, and just start over, not paying attention. But God immediately, even in the midst of their disobedience, God seeks them. He's already starting to move toward them, even in their guilt and their shame. That first picture of the heart of grace that God has for his creation. Then the man and his wife, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Again, guilt, shame, brokenness, wanting to move away from God, wanting to be alienated, from God, but God continues to move toward him. And he said, who told you that you were naked? You have eaten from the tree that I command, have you eaten from the tree that I have commanded you not to eat from? I always kind of chuckle at this. The man said, the woman, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit and I ate it, blame shifting, started in the garden. But then the woman didn't want to take blame either. She points to the serpent Then the, Lord, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And here's the result of the brokenness. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat the dust all the days of your life. And then, Jesus, and then the author talks about the spiritual battle. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, meaning your offspring, evil one, and people's offspring. This battle between us and him, he wants to destroy us, steal, kill, and destroy. We see it from the very beginning in the garden, and he's gonna continue to bring lies. But the reason I read so far is because I want you to hear the very last part of verse 15. It's so important, and sometimes we miss it. It says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Just that one line there is what theologians often call the proto evangelium, meaning the first good news, the picture of the good news that's coming. And they may not have understood this, but this is what we need to understand. He will crush your head. Who's the he? That is Jesus. That is Jesus will come. And the New Testament tells us that he says, I came to destroy the works of the evil one. And it says that the evil one will try to strike his heel, but Jesus will crush his head. He wins. But in the midst, we live in this place of this battle between truth and lies. That's the world that we live in. But the question that we're going to have to ask ourselves is, how do we battle? How is it that we battle? And I want us to just take a step back again and look at big picture. What is the lie that the evil one is going to continue to try to bring about in our life time and time again? The question is always the same. Question God's authority and his autonomy. Is God really in charge of me? Is he really in authority over me? Can I really trust him? Are his intentions for me good? And if we come to the place where we start to believe, I don't know if God really is good. I don't know if his thoughts about me and his plans for me are really good. We're not gonna look to him to figure out what this life is all about. We're gonna look inside. And that becomes to be the lie that we so often believe around here. We start to follow not the voice of God in our life or the mental map that God gives us in scripture. We start to listen to the voice in our head and the desires of our heart. And we just say, I got this. I will decide what's right and wrong. God, you're not gonna tell me what to do. And maybe another way to, to frame the lies of the evil one is he, he tries to create questions around the three big questions of life. Who is God? Who are we? And what is the purpose of our life? Like I said, one of the big questions, who is God? Who is God? And he's going to try to create doubt in our minds about this. Does God really have wisdom? Does God really have good desires for me? Because if we don't believe that that's true, we will follow our heart. We'll follow our own intuition because we believe we've got the mental map. We know what truth is. We know what reality is. And we reject God and we start to live life on our own. That is the lie beneath all the lies that we believe. Can I trust God? How, how would you answer that question? If someone asked you, Who is God? What is God like? What are God's thoughts related to you? Can you trust Him? Are His intentions good? Because if we get to the place where we have lots of questions about that, we will keep God always at an arm's length. And in our culture, that we, it's not even just about who God is and what he's like. It's like, is there even a God at all? So many people in our culture have bought into the lie that this creation that we see that looks like it's, to the naked eye, just look like it's full of design and intent. A designer. They just say, there, there is no God. We are just the random, we're just a random fallout of time and chance and survival of the fittest. We buy in to that lie that there's no creator at all. And that leads into the second question that the enemy wants to create doubts around is, who are we? If there's no creator, or if we can't trust the authority of God in our life, who is he? Who are we in relation to him? Because The creator of the world is meant to be at the center of the universe and our lives revolve around him. But if we have questions about who he is, we try to put ourselves in the center of the universe. I will decide. I will decide. I will make the decisions myself. What is right? What is wrong? Identity is self-defined. Morality is self-determined. We make ourselves at the center of the universe. And not only that, we start to believe lies around how does God view us? Not only who we are in relation to him, but how does he really think about us? Does he see me as valuable? Does he even see me at all? Does he really love me? Does he really have plans for me? The enemy will try to create doubts around those questions for us because all of those things, if we don't have good answers for them, true answers, It will move us away from God. And that last question, one of the most important questions is, what is the purpose of our life? If there's not a king, and there's not a a king and a kingdom that is being built, and that's what the scriptures tell us. God is our king. Jesus is our king. And what matters in this life is that we come into a relationship with, we bow our knee to him. We make him the king of our life. And we partner with him and what he's doing to bring about his kingdom here on this earth. If that is true, is there anything more important happening on the planet? No, not even close. It's not even close. But the enemy, he can just dangle keys out here that, like a little kid, just kind of grabs our attention. There's all these things that we think, this is what life is about. I've got to have all these pleasures. I've got to have all these experiences. What are the things that you're chasing that aren't the kingdom of God? If we're not chasing, if our life isn't surrounding the purposes of God in this world, we are believing lies. What is it that we really believe that this life is about? What is it that we are chasing? And I want to go back to the question I asked last week because we need to ask it day in and day out. What are the lies? that you are believing, maybe lies about God, maybe lies about who you are, maybe lies about what really matters in this world, what what this world is really about. And I wanna remind you again, when the enemy came to destroy Eve, he didn't come at her with a weapon. He didn't come at her with a stick. He came at her with an idea. He came at her with a thought, He came at her with a lie. So if we are gonna fight the enemy, I'm gonna say it over and over, the spiritual battle is a battle for the mind. What is happening in our mind? It all starts there. I wrote this up last week and I just wanna walk back through that again. It all starts here. What do we believe? What do we believe to be true? What is our mental map? What do we think is true about reality? Because how we believe about reality will determine how we behave. We will start to make decisions, what we're gonna do to navigate this world that we live in. And how we behave and how we navigate this life ultimately ends up with who we become. Do we have the right mental map? Because we need the mental map of Jesus so that we can learn how to live the kind of life and behave the way that Jesus did so that we can become like him. Little, Jesus's, that's our calling. That is what the scriptures talk about in terms of spiritual formation, us becoming like him. But this is where it starts. It all starts with what we believe. So if you don't hear anything else today, there's this one phrase, I want you to walk out of these doors saying over and over in your mind, and it's this, I need to think about what I think about. If we're going to fight spiritual battle, we've got to learn to think about the things that we think about. Because if the battle is for our mind, we've got to engage the battle where it's being fought. And the Apostle Paul gives us a great strategy for how do we do that? How do we engage in the battle for the mind? And the things I'm going to share with you are very simple, but they're also very difficult because we've got to do it day in, day out, moment by moment, thought by thought. But here's what the Apostle Paul says in terms of how we engage the battle for the mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse three, it says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That's what our weapons can do. They can demolish strongholds. And what are the strongholds that can grab a hold of us? Paul goes on. We demolish arguments. Arguments are just simple thoughts, ideas, sometimes even lies. We demolish arguments and every pretension. And a pretension is just a claim or an assertion. Any claim or assertion that sets itself up against a knowledge of God. And he says, we take captive we take captive every thought to make it obedient to christ if you wanted a a cliff notes for what the apostle paul is saying there i believe he is saying think about what you think about you've got to evaluate what you think about think about the things that you think about how how do we do that We're all thinking about things all the time. Here's what I want you to challenge yourself with. What are those thoughts and emotions, those recurring thoughts and emotions that are just continually playing over and over in your mind? It's the the soundtrack in your mind that just keeps going over and over. Don't let those things just wander around in your mind unchecked. What Paul is saying is take them captive. Grab a hold of them. Slap them some handcuffs on them, hold it out in front of you and begin to evaluate it. Think about the things that you're thinking about. If you can identify this is the thought that's coming out of some emotions that are deep within me, start to ask yourself some questions. Would this be something that God would say to me? Is this a message that God would have for me? Or is this message coming from some other place? from the evil one himself, maybe from deep inside of me in some way, maybe from the world around me. Where is this message coming from? And if you look at, if you start to think about what you're thinking about and you see that this doesn't line up with what God says is true about himself, about me, about what really matters in life, Paul is saying, take it captive and get rid of it. Say, that thought has no place in my mind. That is not true. Reject it, cart it off to jail, say, it is out of here. And Paul's saying the, the goal then is that all of our thoughts, all the things that we're evaluating, we would make them obedient to Christ. And I just think this picture makes so much sense to me that if this is the mental map of Jesus as revealed in his scriptures. And this is our mental map. This process that Paul is talking about of spiritual formation is just looking at all the thoughts in our life that maybe don't line up with how Jesus thinks. What he says is true is that we're constantly getting rid of thoughts and aligning our thoughts to his. That's why the scriptures tells us we have the mind of Christ. We have the power to demolish strongholds and anything that doesn't line up with his we demolish it we destroy it we take it captive and we throw it away we line our hearts we line our minds with the heart of Jesus i got an email from a good friend of mine and before this series even started i was she's an amazing therapist in our town and uh, i wanted to get together with her cuz i had a lot of questions but it just It was really cool. She emailed me this week, and she said, I was wondering if maybe this was something that you were going to ask me about. How does therapy line up with some of the things that we're talking about in terms of lies? And she said, the things that you're talking about are the things that I do in my practice every day. She said, one of the things that I do is that I look for what we call clinically the negative conditions. She said, you're calling them lies. We call it negative conditions. And the goal, her goal as a therapist is to help people get unstuck from the lies that they believe that's what they come to her for here's my thought and my prayer for us as a church family can we start to figure out how to do therapy for one another can we start to help to think about how do we help each other get unstuck from the lies that we're believing what are those lies Here's how I want to start to try to press into this a little bit. Here's the question I want to ask. If, are any of these things in your life, do you wrestle with fear? Do you wrestle with worry? Do you wrestle with temptation? Do you have feelings of worthlessness? Do you have feelings of confusion? And, and, and the, the list could go on. But I think that probably covers a lot of the things that we're wrestling with in life Often. If those things are true in our life, what we need to realize is that a seed of a lie has been planted somewhere in our life. The enemy has planted a seed in your life and here's what he knows to be true. If you let that seed stay there, if you let it go unchecked, what will happen is it starts to grow. It settles into our heart and it settles into our life. And as soon as it starts to do that, as soon as it takes root in what we truly believe, when we believe that lie, we start to move in the wrong direction in life. We start to make decisions in light of things that aren't true, and we ultimately become something that God never intended for us to become. But it starts with just a simple little lie. You might be thinking, yourself, it's just a little lie, and, I, and there's, sometimes I just kind of like it. I just want to coddle it a little bit. There's no harm, no foul. Nobody really knows. The enemy knows. That seed can take you to a place in your life that you never intended to be. We need to learn to think about what we think about because that's where everything starts with our enemy. And here's the truth, friends. Nobody can do this but you. Nobody has the power to be the DJ of your thoughts other than you. Nobody else gets to create the playlist that you listen to over and over and over again. Nobody gets to decide that other than you. But we need to come to the place where we're actually thinking about the things that we think about. Why is that so difficult? There's probably lots of reasons, but I think one of the biggest challenges is that we have so many thoughts, so many messages that are coming at us all the time, how do we capture all of them and evaluate all of them? Because some of them, friends, they're coming from lots of different avenues and some of them are toxic. How do we filter the things that are coming into our life through our thoughts? I was just thinking about uh I went when I on that backpacking trip that I was fishing, one of the things we do our whole group, uh, we have this like 5 gallon water bladder and we all just like take turns pumping water and then we all use that water bladder together. Uh, One of our pumps wasn't working quite right. Didn't know anything about it. About a week after the trip, I started to not feel great. Thought like just some rumblings in my stomach. Um, Two weeks after the trip, I was just like, I feel like this is not getting any better. After three weeks after the trip, I was at the place where I said, I've got to get to the doctor. Something is really wrong. And I started to talk with the other people that were on the trip. Five of the six of us all having the same symptoms. You know where this is going. Giardia. It was Giardia because our filter broke. This little thing got into my stomach, but it began to multiply and get bigger and took it to a place where I wanted to die. I'm not going to tell you everything that was happening. You don't need to hear that in church. Use your imagination. But it was awful simply because I didn't filter. Friends, there are things that we are taking in our life that are allowing to go into our mind, unfiltered, that are bringing death to us in ways that we would never want to be true. Okay, and now I'm gonna go from preaching to meddling because we need to learn how to filter the things that are in our life. I think we do a terrible job of it. I think we need to think about our entertainment choices. We need to think about our reading habits, our listening habits. We need to think about our screen time. What are we we taking in, even on social media, our news sources? Because every one of those things is shaping us. And we've always gotta be asking the question, is it shaping us in the image of Jesus or in the image of our world and the evil one? Because I don't think that those things are great And I'm not just talking about the quality Of the things that we're watching I'm talking about the quantity Of the things that we watch I mean, every time I read one of these studies I think, that can't be true But the study that I just read Was that the average adult American Spends between five and six hours a day On TV and online videos And if you're a millennial It gets worse four additional hours just on their phone. And you know what? If you're a Christ follower, it's actually not that much better. A Barna study said that of the 2,800 hours that the average millennial spends on their phone, about 153 hours on average is Christ-centered content. That's about 5%. 20 times as much is coming at us. And maybe not everything that we watch is awful, but we've got to learn to evaluate. Now, I'm not gonna try to tell you that the only thing you can ever watch is The Chosen and VeggieTales. Everything else is, is just sin. I'm not gonna say that, but what I am gonna say is you've got to evaluate the things that you do watch. Don't just sit back and take it in. Lean forward, evaluate. What is the message Of this. Maybe it's not vulgar. Maybe it's not violent. Maybe it's not, you know, extremely sexual, those kinds of things that just attack our soul. But you got to ask yourself is it valuable? And what is the message behind this? Is there a lie behind the things that are coming at me? We've got to learn to think about what we think about if we're going to handle ourselves in this world because there are so many things that are coming at us one of the easiest things for me was just to take some entertainment apps off of my phone and take social media apps, turn the notifications, I didn't even know you could do that, turn the notifications off. So it's not pinging me, I, I have to go find it and I, you have to scroll to some back pages on my phone to get to it. It's amazing how little I'm on there and I miss a lot of things, I miss messages from people but I'm not missing a lot, you know? I think we've got to think about what are the things that we're thinking about and how much time we spent on those things. We need to think about what we think about and then we need to replace it. It's not even just about filtering things out, but not only the things that go out, but what are the things that we put in? And Paul just says, you've got to redirect your thinking. And this is what he said that we do in Philippians chapter four. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's saying think about what you think about. And then I love this. He says, whatever you have learned and received or heard from me or seen in me, take these words to heart, put it into practice. This means that this is something that we don't just do one time on a Sunday morning on September 18th in Bozeman, Montana. This is a practice. We have to do this over and over again, moment by moment, thought by thought. We have to think about the things that we're thinking about because it all starts with thoughts. It all starts with thoughts. Okay, here's your assignment. Probably going to give you an assignment every time that I'm up here. I want you to begin to evaluate what are the thoughts and emotions that are recurring over in my life, over and over and over again. The second question that I want you to ask is what is the lie? Is there a lie in any of that? Is there a lie beneath the lies? Are there questions that I have about God? Are there questions that I have about me? Are there questions that I have about what really matters in this life? Is there a lie in that? And if there is, you need to ask yourself, what is the truth? That third question, what is the truth? What does God say is reality in this situation? You know, over this series or for the last several weeks, I've just been working on not only myself, but with groups of people that I'm with, my men's group, we've been engaging around this. What are the lies that we believe and talking about it? And I just want to share you what happened a couple of weeks ago when we, when we all got together. We just, I just said we, we just prayed and we asked the Holy Spirit to reveal things that are lies. And I just said, if there's like strong emotions that are welling up in our our life, then maybe there's a root there that we should talk about. And one of my friends said, I just have this incredible fear around my daughter. Now his daughter has learning challenges and they've been trying to figure out like, what does school look like for her? And how do we get her to where she needs to be educationally? And and some of those things don't always work out the way that they would want. And there was just all this fear that was being raised up in and around that. And, and my friend, he's a, he's a high performer. And so I, I just kind of imagined that in, in his mind, like this is what it means to be successful in this life. You got to get to this place, you know, where you're able to engage and be successful like that. But We actually, as we started to engage and pray and just say like, what is, what is the truth about your daughter? We just started to describe who she was, and, and, and I'm not just saying this. This young girl has like the sweetest love for Jesus that you will ever, ever see. I mean, I I, I mean I would say this if her parents were right in front of me. I, I think she loves Jesus more than you do. You know, it's just, it, that's what, it just oozes out of her. She loves Jesus, and she loves people. She loves people. In fact, around student ministries around here, some of the leaders have said if, if there's a new person, they send her, to be with her because she knows how to welcome people. She loves people. She's looking out for others. Think about her life is characterized by love for Jesus and a love for people. But the lie, as we started to think about, and like, what is the lie? And my friend just kept saying, "I, I think the lie is that if there's challenge in this life or there's difficulty in this life, that means that God is not present in that And that my daughter having to overcome something and persevere through something that's going to be really challenging for her, her whole life, is a negative thing. And we started to talk about in our own lives, like, the things that we persevered through have actually been some of the most shaping things of who we are as people. And so as we sat there and looked at, like, what was really true? These challenges didn't mean that God was absent it meant that God was right in the middle of it. God never promised that our life is gonna be easy, that our life is gonna be comfortable. In fact, his promise, Jesus' promise was in this life, you will have many troubles, but trust in God. Trust also in me because I have overcome the world. This is what was happening in this time. And I just, I just remember as, as we started to wrap up our time together, my friend who came in and he was feeling such great fear, we just stopped and we started praying these prayers of gratitude. Just like so thankful for who his daughter was and where, and like she's got dialed the most important things in life. He left free. It's just, a, I just wanted you to have a picture. This matters that we think about the lies that we're thinking and we know the truth and the truth will set us free. I watched it happen with my friend and I've seen it happening with me. We've got to think about. What we think about. The last thing I wanna say, actually, it's not the last thing, as you know, I've probably got some more things. But I want you to understand that if you're gonna learn to discern the enemy's lies, three things I believe have to be present in your life. One is the scriptures, it is God's mental map, it is the mind of Jesus. We've got to have the scriptures flowing in and around our mind if we're ever gonna have a chance to grab a hold of Jesus' mental map. The scriptures have to be a part of our life. A second thing is we've got to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit. In that scripture, Paul says, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. That divine power is God's divine power living in the life of a believer. He's there, you've got to call on it, you've got to lean into it, invite him to speak into your life. He's called the spirit of truth in the scriptures. We've got to lean in to his truth. And lastly, we need each other. We need other people because this is just true, friends. It is so much easier to see lies in other people than it is to see lies in ourselves, And that's why when the scriptures talk about the body of Christ, talks about how we live, we are, we're one in spirit and we speak truth to one another in love. That's part of our role is to speak truth, to call out the lies in one another. Just this week, had some friends over for dinner on Friday night. And part of the conversation, and that was me just sharing just some regrets that I had around parenting. And it was, it was just like hard and emotional, even in that moment. But that conversation started to carry over into the next day. And Carmen and I went on a walk and we were trying to Process some of that, and I was just sharing with her these deep regrets, and it was just, I just felt like this, like, just wave of, like, depression, like, you're bad. You're a bad dad. And Carmen, in typical Carmen fac- fashion, she was like, Bob, you are believing a lie. <laughs> and I don't, I don't like when she tells me that. <laughs> I like to be right. But as we began to process it, I just thought, it's true, It was absolutely true. And the thing about lies, the best ones, the ones that seem the most true are the ones that have a lot of truth to them, but they're not the whole truth. Yes, there are some things I could have and should have done different as a father, but there were a lot of good things that I did. And karma was just able to talk about those things with me and just say, you're not believing the truth about who you are And it was just so lifting and freeing. The truth, friends, the truth will set us free, but oftentimes we need someone who's willing to hold up the mirror to us so that we can see the reality that we're believing lies. And that's why until Jesus comes back, we're gonna stand up here over and over again and say, as a church, we've got to move from rows to circles because it's in those circles of relationship, in close relationship, that people actually start to see into our lives. And and it's not just people that we hang out with. It's gotta be people that we're willing to be vulnerable with that can see into our life, that can show us the lies that we're believing. We've gotta have people around and that's why we're always telling, get in a journey community. And if you're in a journey community, get more vulnerable with one another. I don't know how vulnerable you are right now, but get more vulnerable. Open up more of your life. Talk about more about the things, the lies that you're believing. We've got to do it. Because without one another, we're never gonna get to the place where we're thinking about what we think about. We've got to get there. And this is gonna be the last thing I say. The stakes are too high to not do this, to not get really good at this. We've gotta figure out how to think about what we think about. This is your life we're talking about. This is your future we're talking about. This is your family. This is your calling from God. This is your destiny. This is your opportunity to be who it is that God created you to be, but we're never gonna do it if we are believing lies. We've got to think about what we think about. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we need you. I'm just so grateful that you are in this with us. Thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit to live within us to renew our minds, to convict us of ways that we're not seeing the truth, living out the truth, moving toward the truth, becoming the truth. And I just wanna pray for my friends. I just wanna pray the power of your spirit to move and to flow and to bring truth. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of truth and we trust you to be the one that brings truth to our lives. Jesus, help us. Think about what we think about. But even more than that, help us to think about what you think about. And Jesus, it's in your powerful and resurrected name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.